Well, good morning once again. Uh, those of you who are new with us may not notice, but prob- probably most of you have noticed that I am not Pastor Dennis Hester. I am Pastor Nathan McKendry. I'm our student pastor here at First Baptist Watauga, and I'm, I'm filling in today for Dennis because he decided to uh, fly down to the beach. Um, actually, he, he's celebrating his 35th year wedding anniversary with his wife this weekend. Um, in fact, they actually they celebrated 35 years together last month, but they didn't actually get a chance to, to celebrate. It landed on a Monday. He had work. She had work. So they didn't really get to do anything uh, special. Coming up on this weekend, his wife Susan had Friday off and Monday off. And so he thought this would be a great way to just take her on a surprise trip. And, uh, and, and so that's what he did. So he's, you, most of you have probably seen on Facebook. In fact, I think there's a video out there of Susan finding out because he, he kept this from her. He has been sneaking around buying plane tickets and, and trying to, to, you know, just surprise her into a trip to Belize, which, I mean, my wife told me after hearing about it that, yes, I'm allowed to do such things, to surprise her on a trip. Um, given our most recent purchase, that's going to wait a minute. Uh, we recently closed on a house. Um, but as I've been thinking about Dennis being gone for his 35th anniversary, 35 years of marriage, that's, that's a long time, right? I'm only on year two right now. And so, it, and, and still going strong. We're, we're holding to it. Um, you know, she, she's still a pretty patient person. We'll see how she is in 35 years with me. But 35 years holding to a, a marriage promise. You see, Dennis being gone this morning is actually a testament to how important that promise is to him. He's held fast to that promise. Both of them have for 35 years. Uh, the marriage promise, right? See, Dennis, uh, the, if you'll spend any amount of time talking with him about marriage, he'll, you'll, you'll pick up on how important that promise is. That, that's the word he uses most often with that is the promise. Um, and that's, that's really got me thinking about our passage this week because the title of the sermon today is The Law and the Promise, right? And so with, with marriage, you know, Dennis, Dennis treats that promise so highly that he's willing to forsake the pulpit today and let somebody else fill in for him because that promise is more important, right? Celebrating that promise with his wife is more important. But as important as that promise is today, we are talking about a different promise, one that we see in Scripture, and it's actually foundational, uh, to our faith. We're, we're going to be talking a little bit about the promise of God to Abraham, which is found in Genesis 12 and 17. God makes this problem to Abraham uh, where he specifically uh, tells him, you know, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be uh, my people. I'm, I'm going to make descendants out of you more than you can count, right? Kings are going to come from your line, and I'm going to bless the whole world through your offspring, right? This is the, this big grand promise to Abraham. He just has to get up and go. Go where I tell you to go, and Abraham goes. And so this is the promise we see, and we're going to specifically talk today about the relationship between that promise and between the law, right? The law of Moses that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, but we're continuing in our series through the book of Galatians. Uh, we made it to chapter 3 last week uh, as we talked about the first nine verses, right? And if you don't remember that, that sermon that, that Dennis preached, I can sum it up to you by faith alone. I don't know how many times he said that phrase last week, but it was enough that it registered, and I will forever remember, it was by faith alone. See, Paul was speaking from an argument of experience to the, the Galatians, right? So he's, he's writing to the Galatians, and he's, he was upset with them, right? If you, the first verse we read in chapter 3 is, you foolish Galatians, right? If we were going to 
we're going to modernize that translation, we'd say, you're stupid, right? We would say something like that. And that's what we find in Scripture. Paul's upset with them. But he's, he's upset because they accepted the gospel of Christ. They were saved by that gospel, by their, by their faith in the Lord Jesus. And so they, they what? They received the Holy Spirit. Well, after tasting and experiencing and feeling the Holy Spirit moving amidst you, you've gone back to the law, which is so much worse, right? The Holy Spirit is so much more powerful than that. How on earth could you do that? Which is why Paul is saying, you're stupid, right? That's a terrible idea. And, and so whereas he talks about that, and he brings up Abraham last week in that passage, where he talks about Abraham being this example of faith. Abraham was saved by faith, because Abraham was way before the law was even, even created. So this week, Paul's going to take a more theologically grounded argument. Now, don't fret, okay, because we're going to walk through it together. But it's, it's a really interesting argument. It's actually really important. It is a really important passage for understanding everywhere Paul's trying to go with this. Paul's, Paul's going to take an entirely different look at it, and he's really going to meet the, uh, the people who are leading the Galatians astray. He's going to kind of meet those arguments head on this morning in our passage, okay? They, they're the Judaizers is what they're called, right? So they're, they're coming in after Paul and saying, hey, Paul was kind of right, but he forgot all of this stuff, all of this Jewish law that you now have to follow as well to the believers in Galatia. And they're like, oh, okay, I guess we'll do that. And Paul's like, no, uh, there's a reason I didn't tell you to follow all that, right? You, you don't have to anymore. And so Paul begins to turn towards the arguments that those, those opponents of his used against the believers in Galatia to sway them over to their side. So let me read for us. I'm just going to read the whole passage for you, and then we'll begin to walk back through it. We're in Galatians 3, beginning in verse 10. It says this, For all who rely on the works of law are under a curse, because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus, so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. My point is this, the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise. But God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. And the law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came... 
We were still confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. That was a lot of verses. I hope you're still with me. We're going to do something I, I typically do on Wednesday nights with the student ministry. We read a passage like that, and then we just kind of walk back through it. Okay, so I'm just walk back through and point out some things that we see Paul arguing for here, okay? And, and the first overarching thing, this is, this is the number one thing I really want you to hold on to this morning. So if you've already fallen asleep, wake back up. This is it. The promise is superior to the law. The promise is superior to the law. Big point that Paul's trying to make here. And there's several different reasons why the promise is superior to the law. And Paul's, Paul's going to talk about several of them here. And we'll, we'll walk back through and see which ones we can find. The first one he really brings up is that the law brings a curse on us. Okay, he says it right off the bat. If you'll actually notice this first paragraph or so, some of you, when you're, if you're reading paper copies this morning, you might see a bunch of footnotes in there, right? If you look down at the bottom of the page, there's Deuteronomy this, Deuteronomy that, Leviticus that, Habakkuk this, because Paul, again, he's meeting them on their terms, on their argument. He's making this exegetical uh, argument right against them using scripture, right? Using their law, All right? You see that? It's, it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> He's using their law against them to show that, no, this is not what it says. So the law brings a curse on us, he says, because it says that it literally says that those who don't do this are cursed. Pretty simple. That's a good argument right there. It literally says so. So the law brings a curse on us, but Christ redeemed us from the law by taking on the curse himself. Okay, so, so Christ comes, he bears the weight of sin, he, he puts us in right relationship with God because he takes on the curse that we should bear because of the law. So Paul says to, to the Galatians here, why would you continue to live under the curse? Why on earth would you want to keep living under that, right? Because, I mean, that's, that's fundamental gospel language right there. Jesus came, bore the weight of sin, took it from us, right? That's the gospel. That, that's it right there. And he says to him, why on earth would you want to continue to live under the curse of the law? See, Christ was the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham. He makes that clear too. He, he says they're talking about the, the seed that is referenced in Genesis when God's giving this promise. Your seed, your offspring will, will you know, there will be kings coming from that offspring. The whole world will be blessed by your offspring, and Paul says, when he says offspring there, it's not just all of your descendants are going to make a bunch of people happy in the world. He says, no, he's referring specifically your offspring, Christ, Christ, who will descend from you, right? And poor Abram, he doesn't, he doesn't know this. Abram just takes it all on faith at the time and goes. And, and Paul points out, Christ is the seed of Abraham referenced by God in Genesis. So then the gift or, or inheritance, if you will, that's being given to all the Gentiles, right? The whole world being blessed by Abraham. That gift is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is given through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, that's the kernel of the gospel right there, the foundation. It says the law brings a curse on us, but Christ removes that curse from us because he answers the promise. He's the fulfillment of the promise that was given to Abraham. The promise is superior to the law. Let's move on. He also says the law does not save because it's not based on faith. 
That was the whole sermon last week. <laughs> Faith alone, the law does not save. Stephen said it again just a few minutes ago. The law does not save because it's not based on faith. You see, the law, there, there can be a misconception here. The law was never supposed to be a framework for faith and life. That's not what the law's purpose was for. Instead, the law was more of a framework for how to live with God. Remember, God was living among them. In a tabernacle, in a temple, God was with his people because of the promise. He was fulfilling his end of the promise by being with them. It was faith in God that saved Abraham. Look back at the first nine verses of chapter three. That's what he says. He, he brings up Abraham as that faith exemplar. He says, Abraham was saved by faith, not by the law, because the law hadn't even showed up yet. It's 430 years after Abraham, we get the law. So how on earth is the law going to save Abraham? It doesn't, right? Abraham is saved by faith, specifically faith in the promise of God. God makes a promise to Abraham, I will be with you. I will be your God. You will be my people. I just need you to go and obey me. Follow me. Have faith in my promise. And Abraham believed him. And that's that simple. Abraham believed him. He had faith in God and he begins to act out in that faith. And so in this way, again, the promise is superior to the law. The promise also came way before the law. Like I said, 430 years go by after the promise before we actually get the law of Moses. So one commentator helped me out a lot this week when I was studying this passage, and, and, he, and he phrased it a little bit like this. And so I'm going to try to help you get an understanding of this uh, by talking about covenants, okay? Now, there's several different covenants that, that God made with his people, Okay, that you think of the covenant that he made with Noah, right? I'm never going to destroy the whole world via flood again. Okay, I'm, he he makes a covenant with David about his his lineage, right? That's where Christ is going to come from. But I'm going to talk about three specific covenants, right? So that's not an all inclusive uh, discussion on the covenants. We could probably have a whole series about that. Okay, but that's not what this series is. So one commentator noted it like this: If you think about it, with the promise of God was given to Abraham, okay, then. There's this covenant of circumcision. Why? To mark the covenant, right? That, that, that was, was kind of like how we, we make an agreement, right? We make a deal, and we might sign a contract, or we might shake a hand, okay? It, it kind of seals it. it it's, a, it's a symbol, a mark of said covenant. Just like we know that baptism does not save us, right? Like all good Baptists in the room, we know this. Baptism, the water, does not save you. Faith in Christ saves you. So, just so, the covenant circumcision, right? The circumcision did not save Abraham. He, he was already saved, if you will, right? He already had faith in God. Circumcision demonstrated that faith. It helped facilitate. He showed, well, I, I do trust you. I'm willing to do this that you've asked me to do to mark my, my status as a follower of you, God, the follower of Yahweh. And so that's what he does. So then we move from the covenant of circumcision to this covenant of Moses. We get this whole law because remember, God shows up and he's with his people. Through the Exodus, you'll notice there's, there's the, the cloud of wind in the day and the cloud of fire by night because God's with them. They build the tabernacle and the, the whole temple because God's living among them. So we get all of this law to help them survive that, okay? Because God's a pretty holy God. And if you're going to live in the same place as God, it's going to be tricky to not get yourself killed by doing something dumb, right? Because we're humans, we do dumb things. I mean, right off the bat, they were, before, before Moses successfully gets the tablets with the law from God and down the mountain, they've already melted a bunch of gold and made an idol and said, this is the God that saved us. 
stupid, right? That's, that's what we see. So, so we see this law come to help us survive that to some degree, okay? We're gonna, this is how we ought to live. This is how we demonstrate our faith. Again, this is all demonstrations of our faith. And then we get a new covenant, right? The next covenant we get is Jesus, the new covenant of Jesus Christ who comes and fulfills the rest of the promise. See, the other covenants were kind of a way that God was beginning, right? That's what he said. I will live among you. I will be your God. You will be my people. So I'm going to live among you. That's, well, we're going to need this law to help that. Well, when Jesus shows up, we don't need that anymore. Jesus shows up and he fulfills the promise. He answers it. The promise is completed. Okay. So all of this is, is to say that the promise came way before. And then when Jesus shows up, the promise is answered. That is naturally superior to this law that was only meant to be a temporary thing. All of these covenants really just serve to point back to this promise of God. And the promise is not null and void because of these other things that came up. Paul, Paul says, you know, I'm using a human illustration here, right? Like here's, here's an illustration, Paul says. One does not make a will, and then when the person dies, trash the will. That's not how that works. If, if, you, know, if you make a will today, and you, you make it legal, right? You go through all the process, hire the lawyer, and you get this thing validated. It's a legal human will that I'm, you know, when I die, everything goes to my son, right? That maybe that's what you're doing. Everything will go to, to your son. Well, then if you die and we turn around and decide, well, you know, it says here on this very important piece of paper that all of it goes to your son, but we think your nephew deserves it a little bit more. He really needs it. So we're going to give it to him instead. No, you can't do that. That's wrong, right? That's illegal. You, you can't just ignore that. Neither does God just ignore his promise with Abraham. He says, I made a promise to Abraham. I'm going to keep it. These things don't just overwrite my promise to Abraham. That's not what happens. I'll give you another illustration from my own life. When we were children, me and my siblings, I've got three siblings, one, or one brother and two sisters, okay? And and when we were children, we learned pretty quickly, I'd like to think, or at least I learned. I, I assume my siblings picked up on it. Our dad, also like Dennis, holds a high value of the word promise, which is really something you should all hold to, okay? And, and your friends will pick up pretty quickly if you have a high or low value of promise when you give your word to somebody, okay? Because if you keep it, people know that you mean it. If you don't, then we know that when you say I promise, it means nothing. Not so with my dad. Promise meant a big thing. And we picked up on it. Okay, we were kids, and we learned that if he promised something, by golly, it would happen. Well, like all good children, we tried to use that against him. <laughs> we weren't always successful. <laughs> so we, we tried to trap him into it, right? So maybe we wanted to go somewhere. You know, one of the, I, I loved my PlayStation 2 as a kid, okay? Loved it. And so I wanted to go to GameStop and buy all the PlayStation 2 games I could. So constantly, Dad, go to GameStop, knowing full well that when we get there, I'm going to ask him, Dad, can we get this game? I don't have money, right? I'm asking him to take me to GameStop and then buy me a video game. Okay, that's what I want. And I learned that if I could get him to promise it, oh, it's going to happen, okay? And so I'd, I'd, you know, I'd ask, hey, can we go to GameStop? And he'd say, maybe, maybe later. I go, dreaded maybe. You know, maybe's risky area, right? Maybe almost always defaults to no at the end of the day, you know what I'm saying? But, but it's that I, I 
we need to get to yes, right? So I need to play the game a little bit, get him to yes. And if, if he says, I promise, that, that's even better than a yes. That, that is solid gold right there. We are, we're not getting out of it. And so I'm, I've got to get us there, but it's a risky game, okay? Because I, I watched it happen to my little sister. I watched it happen to Brittany. Can, can we go to Sonic? Maybe. Can we go to Sonic? Can we go to Sonic? Can we, all day long. Can we go to Sonic? Eventually, no, we're not going to Sonic because I'm tired of you asking me. And it, and it was like, he said no. She, she went from, maybe, it's straight no. Oh, gosh. Okay, be careful. Hey, can we uh, go to GameStop? And he's like, maybe. I went, I'll wait a little bit. Hey, it looks like we have, you know, we're getting this, these errands done well. And I've been a good little boy during the errands so that we can, you know, have enough time. Hey, can we... Can we go to GameStop now? You know, uh, maybe, hold on, give me a few minutes. So I'm trying to get him to promise it. And if he ever said, I promise, well, that was perfect. He, he occasionally figured it out, though. He'd be like, I know what you're trying to do. And if you ask me one more time, it's a no. And the game's over, okay? We, we stop asking, right? Because the maybe's at least, you know, a 0.1 chance that it might happen. But I knew that if he promised it, if I achieved that, if he would promise it, then no matter what happened, we were going to GameStop because I knew how important it was that he keep his promises. I knew the value of a promise. I was taught that. So I knew that, you know, if, if the whole world just goes into apocalypse mode, we will be dragging our legs behind us like an action movie star into a GameStop that day. I knew it would happen because it was promised. See, that's the value of a promise. That's the same thing here in this passage. The, the promise that God made to Abraham, like a good father, God will keep that promise. So whatever else happens, because the promise came first before any crazy other events, any crazy other things, or even other laws, other people, before any of that, the promise was made. And so the promise will be kept. And spoiler alert, it was kept, right? Another reason is that the promise came directly from God, directly from God. You'll notice in these verses a, a kind of strange part, uh, beginning in verse 19, where we see uh, these, these, I think verse 19, um, these, these angels show up and there's a talk of a mediator. And that was kind of confusing for me. I had to read that a few times and study it. And one of the things I, I uncovered in my study this week is that there's a theory out there that Paul's opponents, the Judaizers, they were you know, trying to to make their point to the Galatians, right? When they're trying to make their point to them, one of the things they might be doing is, is adding in things like, there were, you know, angels present when they gave the law to Moses to give to the people, trying to, to you know, glorify this moment. This is a big, important, special moment. And Paul, being a good, good argumenter, he says, you know, he's not even going to deal with whether or not that's accurate. He's just, he's just straight to it. Well, I'm going to just take that and use it against him. If there's angels there, then it didn't even come directly from God. It needed a mediator. The promise came directly from God, right? Because the promise was answered, fulfilled with Jesus Christ, who was the son of God and one with God. The promise came directly from God and was answered directly by God. See, the promise is superior to the law. Okay, so hopefully I've pounded in my first real point to you, and you remember that today at the dinner table. The promise is superior to the law, okay? What is the purpose then of the law? That's the question he asked in 19. Why then was the law given? What's the purpose, okay? This is where we get, again, a lot of confusion. The law was, was 
kind of a, a twofold thing, okay? He was both a guardian and a prison warden, okay? First, the, the law keeps us prisoner. Remember, it curses us, and Jesus took that curse. So the law keeps us prisoner. The law, in this way, it kind of reveals our sin to us. It, 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 I was talking with Victoria, our children's minister, and putting it in very children's minister-like terms, it's, it's like a magnifying glass. I went, yes, that's exactly right. It's like a magnifying glass. The, the law demonstrates, shows us very clearly, oh, we are bad. We are not good at this. We're not good at this whole living with God thing. You know, we have a lot of sin in our life. So the, the law reveals our sin to us. It reveals our behaviors and the way in which we act and the things we say and think in which we sin and offend God's presence, which when you're living in the same place as God, that's lethal, okay? It's lethal. But in this way, it shows us the absolute need for a savior, it showed us absolutely that we needed a Messiah because we're never going to successfully live this way. The law actually included offerings and sacrifices which would atone for the inevitable mistakes they would make. <laughs> here's a bunch of law. I know you're not going to get it right, so here's the way to fix when you get it wrong. <laughs> you see that? So God was thinking ahead here. You know, God, God's God. He's wise. And so he, he plans for this because we're never going to be able to pull it off. Never. And again, if you haven't read the Old Testament, I encourage you to do so. But they didn't. They didn't pull it off, okay? They really, really messed it up. So the law kind of keeps us prisoner in this way. But the law also was this kind of guardian. It showed us how to live. Again, facilitated this promise that God was answering to help us live in God's presence. You have to remember that the Israelites were living with God there. They're building the tabernacle for him. They're building the temple for him. You know, God's providing through the law a way to do all of that, a way to live with God. Sometimes, you know, as we talk about the law being both a curse and yet a blessing, there are things in life that I have found that can be both a burden and a blessing. For example, I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon this morning that I, we just closed on a house this week, right? And we moved into a house. So one of the things that was so helpful for me were boxes, Okay, I got a bunch of boxes. In fact, I kept a bunch of boxes from last time I moved from an apartment to a different apartment. And I, I kept them up here in this closet up here, the youth closet. Why? Because I was a youth pastor. I could do that. So I, I, I put the boxes up there. And I, some of you didn't know that. So I, so I bring the boxes down with me. I take them to my apartment. We're packing up all these boxes. And, and you know, because it's, it's much easier. It's much easier to carry books in a box, not a large box and a small box. Pro tip, okay? If you don't know that, don't put all your books in one big box. You won't carry it. And if you hire a mover, they will be mad at you, okay? So, but, but boxes help. We know that. We understand that boxes help us move. And it helps me put everything organized in the truck. And now that we've successfully moved, boxes are the bane of my existence, right? Like, we get this. I look around, the, I sit down on the couch and I look around the room and I think, I don't know where anything is. I don't know, a clue, have any, you know, because when we all come in with our boxes, we just put them wherever, right? I don't, you know, where does this one go? On the floor, I don't care. Put it in a room somewhere. And now, you know, in the apartment, we had the bedroom and the living room. And now we have three bedrooms, a kitchen, a living room. And so we're like, oh man. So boxes are everywhere, okay? You should have seen me last night trying to cook dinner. That was exciting. I went, oh, I need a cutting board, okay? So I'm searching all throughout the house, 
popping all the lids open to every box, you know, that, oh, flowers over here, oh, stuff that goes in our desk, I guess. That's clearly not a cutting board. And I finally find a cutting board, and I go back to the kitchen, and I start, start cooking. I need a measuring cup. So I'm looking around the house for a measuring cup. Oh, finally found a measuring cup. I found that one a little faster that time. Woohoo! And I, I go, and I use a measuring cup. Dinner is ready, and we needed bowls. So I'm looking around the house for bowls. And if you can believe it, none of those three things were in the same box. I don't know. There was a lot of boxes that came out of the kitchen, right? But none of them were there. And so you can see boxes were supposed to be a blessing for me. And they were for a time. But now they're a curse on me. Now they are of no use to me. And I would be quite silly to continue to live my life with all my stuff in boxes. Right? That would be a pain. That would, that would make things very, very difficult. And my wife is going to get very annoyed if I try to live like that, okay? Because she doesn't want to live in boxes, right? Unless I'm mistaken. No, I'm not mistaken. The law was a blessing and a curse. It was a guardian for a time, and now it is simply a prison warden. It's something to let go of, a burden that we don't need to carry anymore because the law doesn't need to show us how to live anymore. Jesus will show us how to live now. The Holy Spirit, the gift, the inheritance we are given by faith in Christ, that shows us how to live because he lives even closer than he lived before in the tabernacle. See, the law showed us how to survive and live rightly with God, but it was all temporary until Christ came and fulfilled the promise and the law. So the law shows us what it takes to be in right relationship with God, but it simultaneously proves to us that we don't have what it takes. That's what the law does. And, and a lot of the confusion, the misconceptions concerning the law has to do with whether or not it was permanent or temporary. Whether or not it was plan A, which would make Jesus plan B, and that's not the case. Jesus was always plan A, always. Ever since the promise, ever since Genesis, when the fall happened, God knew, I'm going to send Jesus. Jesus will fix this. And sends his son, Jesus. That's the purpose of the law. But what about the purpose of the promise? This one's really simple. The purpose of the promise is to save everyone, to reconcile people with God. Ever since the fall, we needed that. Ever since sin entered the world, we needed reconciliation with God. So the promise is to save everyone. But it won't save everyone. Because too many of us will continue to choose to live under the curse of the law. Too many of us will, will choose to elevate the law, just like the Judaizers, elevating the law over the promise. And in, in so doing, we demonstrate an unbelief in the promise. We demonstrate a lack of faith in either God's desire to save us or his ability to do so. Take your pick. Both are wrong. God loves us and wants to save us. But a lack of belief in that, made by elevating something like the law over us, or over the promise, is what ultimately will condemn us. Nowadays, though, we American Christians are pretty good about not fully trusting in the Mosaic law. I see very few of you out there with jeans on and denim on top. You're typically wearing like a polo or something else. So you're already kind of most of you breaking Jewish law. So clearly, most of you are not trusting in Mosaic Jewish law. Congratulations. That does not mean that you are trusting in the promise. Just because you don't trust the law doesn't mean you, you are trusting the promise. We're a room full of mostly Gentiles, right? The rest of the world, that's what that means. 
non-Jews. And we often choose to place our faith in other things, not just the law, but we kind of develop our own law. We develop our own things, our own way. God, this is our, this is, you know, this will be our relationship. God, I'll do this. You'll do that. You have control over this part of my life. I have control over this part of my life. We tend to set the terms with God. That's what the law was, right? That's what they were doing. We're using the law to set our terms with God. You see how that's backwards? God sets terms with you. You don't set terms with God. You have faith in God. You go. Abraham was told, go. And he said, okay. And he goes. He doesn't know where he's going. He just goes. Because faith does not demand that you set the terms. And, and oftentimes we choose to trust in ourselves. And that's, that's really quite arrogant because it's not even to suggest that you're going to follow the, the, one of the covenants of the law that God passed down, you know, to, to us people. It, you're, you're just straight up trying to worship and trust in yourself or, or trust in other people, which is really to say that you trust your judgment of their character. It's all just trusting in yourself. And, it, and, it's, and it's foolish, is what Paul says. It's, it's absolutely foolish. We choose to put our faith in something even lower than the law, us. And choosing this is the same, if not worse, than living under the curse of the law. Thinking about curses, let me jump back in time a little bit. About two years ago, when, when my wife and I are engaged, we're not yet married, and uh, I'm living here in Fort Worth, she is moving from Abilene to Fort Worth so that she can... Uh, work here, okay, because we're getting married in, in December of that year. It's about August, and she gets a job in Capel. And so for about a month there, my wife lives, or she wasn't my wife yet, but she was living on the couch in my parents' house. You think that was a lot of fun? <laughs> it was, yeah, as wonderful as, it, as my parents were, it, it, their hospitality and taking care of her, she was on a couch for a month, okay, and that's, that's not always pleasant. They had a dog, a big, hairy dog, that likes to come wake you up by licking your face off. Okay, and that's, that's what she, a month, okay, and she had to drive from right around here where my parents live to Capel. Okay, and so it, it take her a long time to get to and from work. And I asked her one day when she got home during that time period, and, and she's complaining about the, the stopping at every light because she took the back road. She took the long way to work and she didn't get on the freeway. And I asked her, why didn't you just take the freeway? And very lovingly, she looks at me and responds, I don't need that kind of negativity in the morning. <laughs> Quite okay. <laughs> it checks out, right? Because the freeway is another thing that's supposed to be a blessing and yet is a curse. See, boxes, freeways, there's lots of things that are blessings and curses. I-35 should be a blessing to us. It's a curse, okay? It's, it's a curse. So... We don't have to live by the curse. We don't have to. We have a Savior who came, and it is a curse to attempt to save yourself. And I encourage you this morning to let go of that. Whatever it is that you're elevating, just like the Judaizers were with the law, whatever it is you're elevating over and above the promise that was answered, that was fulfilled. See, Abraham had a harder time than we did. He had to trust the promise that wasn't even answered yet. We're trusting in a promise that we know was answered. We're trusting in the promise that Christ fulfilled. So let go of the curse of saving yourselves because you can't do it. You don't have what it takes and you only frustrate or deceive yourself while you're attempting to. See, we cannot live apart from faith in God. Nothing will save us except faith in God, which now is only done 
through faith in Christ. Jesus made that clear in John chapter 14 when he answered his disciples after being questioned, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The covenant of Jesus is part of the promise, and therefore it's superior to any law that we create. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.